0: Welcome to the Faculty New Books podcast, covering the latest authors and publications from across the subject spectrum. Spatial history comes in a wide variety of forms. For example, it can involve a greater attentiveness to the physicality and materiality of spaces, to the fact that history quite literally takes place. It can also comprise an analysis of spaces as imagined and discursively constructed. You might think of so-called mental maps produced by travel guides and landscape paintings, as well as imaginaries evoked by spatial concepts ranging from the West, the Balkans, and the Global South, to city, countryside, and home. Spatial history also engages with practices of territorialization, the drawing of borders, and creation of infrastructure. It dissects the processes of knowledge production, which are generated in and shaped by distinct sites, such as laboratories, salons, and universities. It explores spaces both as constituted by and as constituting social relations and human interaction. Space, and that's one of the critical points here, no longer appears as a mere stage unaffected by the social interaction unfolding on it, Instead, it is produced by this very social interaction and it is also itself an agent in the constitution of society. To be sure, special history also draws on maps, but it uses maps less as an illustration of seemingly objective geographical realities and more as primary sources in their own right. Maps appear as forms of symbolic representation and spatial knowledge. They can be read as visual modes of persuasion. Finally, spatial history can involve the creation of maps, among other forms of data visualization. It can entail the use of computational methods embraced by historical GIS, geographic information systems, for the purpose of generating new insights as well as new questions. Needless to say, spatial history also comes in other forms. Some scholars have a fairly expansive, multifaceted sense of this emerging field, while others see it as more or less synonymous with historical GIS. In Anglo-American academia, for instance, spatial history is now frequently associated with GIS-driven data-intensive research. It is often clustered around specific institutional centers and collaborative networks. Over the years, this field has been populated by a variety of practitioners from the discipline of history. Initially, however, it was shaped largely by historical geographers and environmental historians. From the viewpoint of historical geographers and environmental historians, narrow definition of spatial history as historical GIS certainly makes sense. A more expansive understanding of the term may threaten to duplicate the remit of their own subdiscipline, or may seem as an unwanted redesign of scholarly identities. And yet, I would suggest spatial history is more than simply digital spatial history. Indeed, the term spatial history has been invoked in a variety of scholarly contexts well beyond the realm of digital mapping. It was also used well before historical GIS began to take off. The classic point of reference here is the Road to Botany Bay, Paul Carter's study of the exploration and colonial settlement of Australia in the late 18th and 19th centuries, first published in 1987 with the subtitle, An Essay in Spatial History. Carter drew on a range of primary sources, including explorers, journals, travel accounts, memoirs, letters, poems, paintings, maps, and photographs. Very self-consciously, he pitched his analysis of the linguistic and cultural construction of landscape as a means to counter a uh, a particular approach to historical writing. This approach had reduced space to a stage, a stage which had somehow always been there naturally and objectively, and on which events were unfolding in time alone. Instead, the road to Botany Bay explored spaces and places in the making, with a focus on the attitudes, desires, and beliefs of those involved in this process. This is why Carter's book was, I quote, a history of roads, footprints, trails of dust, and foaming wakes as described and delineated by explorers, observers, surveyors, settlers, town planners, and other placemakers. The roads to the Botany Bay matters are an essential part of historical scholarship. Space, in other words, is not something to be left to geographers, to paraphrase one of the most influential geographers of recent decades, David Harvey. More importantly, it serves as a signpost for historians to adapt knowledge on spatial matters from other disciplines. Particularly, it provides useful translation aid that helps mediate between the disciplines of history and geography certainly there have been areas of more intensive exchange here especially environmental history and the history of science typically however historians have only infrequently turned to colleagues from geography departments for advice on conceptual or methodological matters in fact a cursory look at introductions and companions to historiography geography reveals that historical geography has often been considered beyond the remit of historians. Most students of history will never have encountered historical geography during their studies. So, spatial history has served to communicate some of the theoretical, conceptual, and thematic preoccupations of geography to history students. Such uh, translation aid is in part also required due to disciplinary differences in citation technique, publishing habits, and writing style, as well as in thinking. On an international level, this translation work becomes even more important. The subdiscipline of historical geography tends to be less prominent beyond the Anglosphere. Here, historians may be even less likely to turn to their counterparts in geography. In Germany, for example, historical geography has been much depleted over the years. Secondly, Spatial history helps to facilitate conversations among historians of different hues and specializations. Part of spatial history's appeal is the potential it holds for the creation of a common forum across especially environmental history, landscape history, local and regional history, transnational and global history, urban history, architectural history, the history of cartography, In an integrative sense, spatial historians act as what we may call boundary spanners. They have built and maintained connections between these and other cognitive fields. Tied in with this notion of boundary spanners, the idea of spatial history is ecumeny. The adoption of this word with its ancient Greek origins is inspired by the polymath and cultural geographer Dennis Cosgrove. In 1994. Cosgrove founded a journal under this name, later changed to slightly more uh, search engine-friendly Cultural Geographies. Originally referring to the dwelling place of humankind, for Cosgrove the word was to encapsulate a scholarly attachment to geographical knowledge and the geographical imagination well beyond disciplinary frontiers. Spatial history in this ecumenical sense is one aspect of a much larger conversation which, for the past 10 years, has evolved under the name of geohumanities. This discussion has been driven in particular by human and cultural geographers. The goal is to reconnect the discipline of geography to the realm of the humanities. This is relevant of the deeper roots of geography, which lie in both classical and Renaissance humanism prior to the discipline shift, towards the quantifying, measuring, calculating spatial science that reached its height in the 1960s. Geohumanities aims to extend, in a cross-disciplinary vein, the work of so-called humanistic geographers, such as David Lowenthal. From the 1970s, these scholars advanced a more interpretive, text- and image-based approach centered on place and human experience. Thirdly, for all its many facets, cross-disciplinary connections, and boundary-spanning work, it is the focus on space and place that lends spatial history coherence and a shared perspective. Space and place constitute key organizing principles. They provide analytical focus and inform conceptual frameworks. Spatial history, that's important to realize, is not so much defined by what scholars choose to investigate, mountains, rivers, the sea, and so on, or what kind of sources they use, maps, and more maps, much more importantly, it is, or I think ought to be defined by the way in which sources are analyzed, and by how scholars go about writing history, It is a matter of perspective, methodology, and analytical approach, a way of seeing and thinking. Spatial means of knowledge production have been promoted ever more widely across the humanities and the social sciences over the past 30 to 40 years. This process of dissemination, as well as the growing uptake of such approaches, is frequently described as the spatial term. This term was first evoked by the American literary critic Frederick Jameson in 1988. But a more important intervention was made by the American geographer and urban theorist Edward Soja one year later. Soja developed the spatial turn into a shorthand and rallying cry for what he called a reassertion of space after the triumph of historicism. According to both Soja and Jameson, this triumph of historicism had gripped large segments of social thought from the late 19th century onwards. For instance... Some economic theorists conceptualize the economy, so to write, as if it were packed solidly onto the head of a pin in a fantasy world with virtually no spatial dimensions. The rising interest in space since the late 1980s and early 1990s has been fueled by a range of trends, and here I'd like to highlight three of them. First, the transformation of communication technologies, especially the rise of the Internet, and the acceleration of global economic transactions. Around 1990, this transformation gave several commentators' cause to conclude that they were witnessing the eventual formation of a global village, as already described by media theorist Marshall McLuhan in the 1960s. Some anticipated the advent of a borderless world, others even the end of geography. This emerging discourse on a supposed annihilation of space had two main facts. Firstly, space became a talking point precisely because commentators repeatedly forecast its imminent disappearance. Secondly, suspicions began to grow about just how borderless or spaceless the world of global capitalism and the Internet really was. Critics pointed to the continued importance of borders and border control, and predictions of an end of the nation-state proved premature or altogether misplaced. The second key trend behind the rising interest in space is closely linked to the end of the Cold War. This gave rise to a renewed sense of geohistorical contingency. It resensitized scholars to the historical conditionality of geopolitical constellations. Indicatively, it was not until the 1990s that a critical mass of scholars turned their eyes to spatial imaginaries as objects of inquiry, such as the West, Eastern Europe, and the Third World. In addition to technological and historical changes, the growing interest in space has also been underpinned by a third trend, postmodernism. It is therefore closely informed by a pattern of thought that gained widespread traction since the late 1980s, but that originated from a time well preceding the digital revolution and the end of the Cold War. In 1979, the French philosopher Jean-François Lyotard published The Postmodern Condition. This book declared the end of all master narratives, with their emphasis on universal progress and enlightenment notions of reason and truth. Such grand explanatory frameworks, he stated, had lost their credibility. The so-called incredulity towards meta-narratives nurtured reservations about linear chronologies more generally, and instead fostered a tendency to think in terms of simultaneity and juxtapositions, which points to another important source of the spatial term, theoretic inspiration, the philosopher and historian Michel Foucault. Foucault's work was become a key reference point in discussions on the spatial term. This was also because of a lecture that Foucault had given in 1967 to a group of architects. Shortly before his death in 1984, this lecture was published under the title Of Other Spaces. Foucault's lecture contained the now famous and rather sweeping statement that while the great obsession of the 19th century was history, with its theme of development and the ever-accumulating past, the present epoch would perhaps be above all the epoch of space, the epoch of juxtaposition, position, the near and far, the side by side, the dispersed, unquote. In this sense, the spatial turn can be traced back to the 1960s. This is also because of another French philosopher, the urban theorist and polymath Henri Lefebvre. Lefebvre was involved in the 60s avant-garde movement of the Situationist International, and he was also engaged in political activism around the events of May 1968, which in France more or less began to unfold at Lefebvre's workplace, the University of Montaigne. Over the past two or three decades, Lefebvre has become something of the patron saint of the broad church of spatial scholars, especially because of the 1991 translation of his book, The Production of Space, which was first published in 1974. The title of this important, if anything but straightforward book, encapsulates Lefebvre's main message. Space cannot be reduced to Euclidean geometry, the Cartesian coordinate system, or the Newtonian notion of absolute space, bucket and container-like, instead, space needs to be approached as something socially produced, which brings us back to the beginning of this podcast.